0: Good morning. How are we doing? Well, it's good to be gathered as the church. I want to invite you to stand as you're able. We're going to start our morning off by singing together. This is just a way we focus our hearts and minds on God. So let's join in together.
1: Rich or poor, God, I want you more than anything that glitters in this world. Be my all, all all-consuming fire.
0: We're starting a new series this morning called Satisfied, Finding Contentment in a World of Consumption. And so we're going to spend some time this morning in Matthew 6. So I'm going to read a little section of that, and then we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. Listen to these words. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom of God and the power and the glory forever amen well you can have a seat and check out this quick video good
2: morning everyone my name is crystal Colvin. you're watching the pulse the Pulse is our newest way of highlighting some of the awesome opportunities you have here at First Church. Next month, we would love for you to celebrate Easter with us at whichever First Church campus you attend. At the St. Joe campus, we'll be adding an 8 a.m. service time in the sanctuary to go along with our 9, 30, and 11 a.m. services. At the campuses, we'll keep the same service times. We'll worship at Stevensville at 9:30 and 11, and Benton Heights at 11. We're excited to see you there. In March, you also have a chance to experience what it's like to live in poverty, Here in Southwest Michigan, we're hosting a poverty simulation workshop on March 10th at the St. Joe campus. You know, as Christians and citizens of the world, we're called to serve the marginalized. And to do that effectively, we need to fully understand the barriers they face. So this event is a great way to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. If you're interested in joining us, visit the Info Hub after service today or go to myfirstchurch.com backslash poverty simulation. I hope you've enjoyed the Pulse. Have a great
0: morning. Well, hopefully as you came in, you received a bulletin. There's some info on that, some things going on in the life of the church. But I really want to direct you to the website, myfirstchurch.com. That's where uh, you can find out about classes coming up, different things to get involved in. Uh, It is a bigger church, and so we, we want to acknowledge that it's sometimes hard to find a place to plug in. And one of the ways we have tried to address that, tried to make big church small, is through section communities. You'll notice the room is sort of broken up into three sections. We've got 201 over here. (laughs) All right. We've got 202 in the middle. All right, yeah. And 203, you guys? All right. (laughs) I think we'll have a competition later to see who can cheer the loudest or something. I don't know. But uh, this is a way we can uh, sort of form community, get to know people, and uh, so I encourage you if you're visiting with us, find your section leader after the service, they'll be wearing a lanyard standing by the coffee carts in the back. They'd love to help you get connected, tell you what's going on, so ushers at this time uh, come forward, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings. This is a way we continue to worship God by giving back uh, what we've been blessed with. Uh, So let's pray together. God, we, uh, we just read how your son taught us to pray. And so we praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've given us. And we ask that you would provide for us our daily bread, the needs we have for today. And God, may your will be done in our lives and in this community. God, help us to have eyes to see it. Help us to be a part of your plan. We know that you invite us into your work. So thank you for that. And God, uh, I just want to take a minute and lift up some friends of mine. Um, Guys, I I got a text right before this service saying that, uh, Good friends of ours, the Van Antwerps. Their son Connor um, is having a stroke, and he's like five or five years old, six years old, and they're airlifting him up to Grand Rapids right now. And so, if we could just take a minute and wherever you're sitting, just lift them up right now, Jesus. We You right now. God, you know our needs even before we ask, but you told us to ask anyways, and so we lift up this family to you, and it's in Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen.
3: Try that again. Good morning, First Church. Glad that you, glad that, that you guys are all here with us. We Want to welcome those folks that are with us by uh, by way of our internet campus. Glad that uh, you're here, and uh, we just uh, uh, invite you to a new series that we uh, get started this weekend. My son goes up to Grand Rapids to school at Cornerstone University, and he has a new pastor. I've been his pastor his entire life, but now he has a new pastor, uh, Jeff Mannion, at Ada Bible Church. Uh, and at Ada Bible Church, there's a, Jeff wrote a great book called Satisfied. Uh, and so we're going to use it as kind of a jumping off point, uh, that book, uh, that text, uh, for this new series that we get started this weekend. If you maybe are in a life group or a small group or uh, maybe uh, as a couple, you might want to pick up the book and encourage you to, to read it. It's got some great stuff in it uh, and we'll use it, uh, use some of the stuff in it. But uh, encourage you to get a copy yourself again, Satisfied by uh, Jeff Mannion. There's another book I just want to, as we kind of get started this morning, uh, there's a book that uh, Peter Menzel, uh, several years old, but uh, and we've got some pictures that we're going to show on the screen or on your, uh, uh, your you know, if you're with us by a computer. And basically what this this book is, uh, is this guy took, and it's, I like this book because it's got a lot of pictures. I love a lot of pictures. Um, but what he did was, it's a journey around the world. He took 30 families in 30 locations around the world, and he basically is, is what the what the project was was to take a family in front of their home and with all of their possessions laid out around them. Uh, and it's a book called The Material World, uh, and again, just kind of a journey around the world. And I don't know if you've had much of a ca- an occasion uh, to kind of think about how much stuff you have. This uh, this is a great example. In fact, the the last picture is a uh, is a picture of a family here in the United States, uh, and you can see that the stuff that this family has, really, compared to all the other families, we just, in our culture, have a lot, a lot of stuff. And if, until we get to the point where there's either a moving truck at our house or a fire truck at our house, we really don't think too much about how much stuff we've acquired. I hadn't really thought about it too much until uh, several years ago when we were moving here. We were gonna we so we were packing and getting things ready, and and I'm packing all this stuff and putting in these boxes, and we're putting it out in the uh, in the garage, and it just this mountain just has grown in the years that we live uh, in our home. And one of those, uh, well, I mean, you mean, all these boxes. I'm thinking as I ran across the, a few of them. You know, if I've not opened this box and needed this stuff for nine years. I probably don't need it moving forward has anybody ever had that occasion where you've like had something and you've you've not like touched it for years but you just continue to hang on to it Uh, anyway uh well there was actually one uh, this is kind of a sidebar but if you're married or 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 whatever in a relationship um there was a one box that uh crystal had um that unbeknownst to me it had Uh, And it had been unopened, uh, but it had our wedding invitations and our wedding stuff and stuff from our little mementos from our honeymoon. Um, I really underestimated how valuable that particular box was. And so you should at least open it and see what's in it before you discard it. That's just a little, that's a pro tip from me to you, just because I love you. So, uh, but anyway, so, but we get into the, you know, we don't really kind of have a context of how, how much stuff we have because we live in this world of consumerism. We, we 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 have this preoccupation in our culture with the acquisition of stuff. And when we kind of buy into that and we kind of get into that kind of that mode and that trap, it's very hard to find the elusive contentment that we would all seek. It's hard to find contentment. It's hard to find the satisfied life. We're in the midst of just acquisition and getting more and more and more stuff. And so the goal of this series is in the midst of that, to help us to find, in the midst of the culture we live in, in the midst of the acquisition, in the midst of all the, you know, the pressure to get more and more stuff and to make our pile higher and higher, in the midst of that, to discover the satisfied life. And In order to do that, we want to provide some biblical direction. For how we can find a deeply spiritual life filled with contentment in the midst of a shallow, materialistic world. I want you to listen to some words that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor friend of his as he was mentoring uh, this pastor, Christ follower, uh, young guy. And he was uh, enrolling him in the school of contentment. And this morning what we want to do uh, is to enroll you in the school of contentment. To sit at the feet like they were of the Apostle Paul. Like, uh, like Timothy was sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul. To learn uh, something from him. And it's really important though to understand the context of what Paul is saying. And the context is that the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy. Uh, he was pastoring a church in a, in a city called Ephesus. It was a a church that paul had actually planted scholars tell us that he had he had pastored it for probably three years and now timothy had taken over and was in charge so he knew the community he knew the people he knew uh what was going on in this community and so he's saying to timothy hey here's some advice uh, for you as you pastor these people here's some things that you can you can s- pass on to your people and we think well you know what it was the ancient world they didn't have anything they, surely uh talking about contentment and materialism and some of that kind of thing that doesn't apply surely until we really understand what was going on in the city of ephesus in the people in which paul is writing that timothy happened to be pastoring and so if you have your bible turn with me to first timothy chapter four starting with verse six uh, if you don't have a Bible, you might get a, your smartphone or whatever, and you can look it up there again. First Timothy chapter, uh, uh, chapter four. Um, chapter six, uh, verse six. Like I said, chapter four, but chapter six, verse six. Um, and the, let me just kind of, as you're turning there, here's what's going on. In Ephesus. Ephesus is at this point in the ancient world is the fourth largest city of the ancient world. It was home to an international port along the Aegean Sea. Now, the Aegean Sea, if you know your your uh, uh, your geography is just off it's kind of north of the mediterranean sea it's all connected but it's the aegean sea and so it was a very important hub of commerce it was a place where uh, overland things traveled into the port from the asia the uh, you know, kind of areas and and all of this turkey and all the, that land into this port and then uh, it was a port that crisscrossed the the, the, the ships ended up here uh, in this port, from all over the uh, the Mediterranean, would come here into this particular port, uh, and I just would encourage you to go uh, if you like this kind of thing. You can go online and you can look up the archaeological uh, remains in Ephesus, and it's really cool what you see. And there's a there's a marketplace. The Agora, the marketplace that was actually the size, and you can look at it today if you go, uh, go online and check it out. It was the size of two football fields placed side by side. And that was the marketplace, kind of in the, in the, in the center of, of everything. Along the outside were all of these shops, and you still can see the archways where these shops were. And then on the inside would have been this massive number of kiosks that were there where people would set up their little places to buy and sell and trade and whatever in this huge marketplace. It would have been kind of the ancient equivalent to the Mall of America there in Ephesus. Anything your heart would desire is there. To be had, to be bought, to be sold there in Ephesus. You could find the latest fashions from Rome. You could find the spices from, from the Far East. You could find purple cloth from Thyatira. You could find uh, jewelry from Egypt. All there in the markets of Ephesus. This important, dominant fourth largest city kind of the Hong Kong the New York of their day and the people living there were in the same place we were filled in a in a culture with all the stuff that everything that the world would have to offer all of the baubles and trinkets and the stuff and Timothy as he's pastoring them again in a world not much different than ours Paul wanting to help them pens these words in this letter to young Timothy and he says this verse six chapter six first Timothy and pierce themselves with many pangs. Now, in the next few minutes, again, I want to invite you to, with me and with Timothy and with the people of Ephesus, to sit at the feet of, uh, of the Apostle Paul in the school of contentment, and let's see what we have to learn that we can apply in our own lives. As we think about this school of contentment, let's go back to that very first verse, verse 6, where he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain in the very first sentence of of what Paul is saying to them, he's saying fullness in life cannot be found in the stuff. Uh, Godliness with contentment, that's where you can find gain. That's where you can find fullness. That's where you find satisfaction, where you can find the contented life. It's not all the stuff. You say, well, wait a minute, David. This is Paul. He lives in the uh, you know, he, he lives in the ancient world. He was, he was this real important guy. He'd plant all these churches. Great things are going on in, in, in his life. And, you know, obviously, uh, as, as this, this high-capacity leader, uh, he's at the top of his game, probably had whatever uh, the world of that day had to offer. I mean, who is he to talk to me about, about contentment? I mean, he had everything, didn't he? Well, study Paul. When he study Paul, and he talks about his life, here's some of the things he said about himself. Paul was the guy that had endured shipwrecks, floggings, muggings, treacherous river crossings he talks about, nights without sleep, hunger, and yet he was able to say, at the, in Philippians the fourth chapter, he says, but I have learned to be content when I've had a lot, I've learned to be, how to be content with a lot, and I've learned to be content when I have had nothing. I have learned the secret, he says. And so the first lesson from the school of contentment is this, that life is is found in the giver not in his gifts life is found in the giver not in his gifts and i purposefully said in his gifts because we need to recognize that every single thing that we have everything that's in a pocket everything that's in a car or a bike everything that's in a a home or apartment everything that's in some box somewhere in some safety deposit somewhere in some bank account somewhere every single thing that we have that we own comes from him James talks about every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights everything comes from him it's important that we recognize that everything comes from him, but again, to recognize that it's not about all the gifts, but that that contentment, that fullness of life is found not in all the stuff, but in him who gave the stuff. And so a question to ask ourselves as we think about stuff, when we think about the materialism, and we think about, because he, in here he, he, he talks about, about all the stuff and the craving and the love for money and all that stuff. And so the question is, how can we, if we, earn money, save money, spend money, invest money, and use money to buy this mountain of stuff, how can we not fall in love with money? That's important. How can we, in this culture that we live in, not fall in love with money? And it's important, again, that we recognize that he is the gift giver. And the key to that fullness of that, to that sweet spot of contentment and the satisfied life is not in the gifts, but in the giver in him. Jesus said it this way, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Manion in his book helps to define what contentment is. Let me kind of give you his definition. He said contentment is the cultivation of the satisfied heart. And when you, that word cultivation, that's something that you, you see it requires some work. It's the cultivation. If you have, if you have a, a little garden, you need to cultivate it. You need to work at it to, in order to produce the fruit that it needs. And so, contentment is the cultivation of the satisfied heart. It is the discipline. And again, this one kind of conveys you've got to work at it. It is the discipline of being fully alive to God and to others, whatever our material circumstances. So again, the first lesson, life is found in the giver, not in the gifts. Let's go back to the text, verse 7. In verse 7 he says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. And that's a sobering reminder that that it's a foundational truth of the school of contentment. We brought nothing into this world, we're going to take nothing out of this world. My mind goes back, as I think about this text, back to 1995, in June, when Caleb, our oldest son, was born. He was born in Effingham, Illinois, which is a small town in central Illinois, uh, a a small hospital run by nuns. Uh, And uh, Caleb was born there, and he was... uh, uh, Chris will give you the exact dimensions, 21 and a half inches long, 7 pounds, and blah, 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 whatever. Uh, but I, what, I, what I remember from that day, our, our, our memories are very different that day, but what I remember from that day uh, is how when he was born, they immediately put him into this little plastic box. They still do that today. They put him in this little plastic box, and they they got the heat lamp going, and they start kind of cleaning him up and wiping him off. And they get a suction, suction cup kind of thing that they put in his nose that really he did not like that at all. And so, uh, and so they, they clean him up, and we get to have a few minutes with him. And then they kind of cart him away where they do the serious cleanup kind of stuff where they you know you, you, as a parent you just don't want to see that them do it to that level of you know scrubbing their head and getting their well, way anyway. so then they, but they bring him back and so the, uh, and they they wheel him back into the room where crystal and i were and there he was in his little plastic box and now he's got this little blue beanie that the nuns had crafted somehow woven on a little loom somewhere whatever they did uh, and so they've got this he's got this little beanie on and then a blue that's how they told the boys from the girls the blue little blue uh thing that he's wrapped up in in this little plastic box and i could hold him kind of right here on my arm and that's how he came into this world and i didn't i w- even, i wasn't I, he wasn't into seeing everything but i do know that he came in with nothing else besides just himself into this world Crystal was really glad that it was just him <laughs> as he came into this world. Fast forward the tape a few uh, years, and we, move, we were moving here to, uh, uh, here from Middletown, and we were packing up our belongings. Caleb and Jacob shared a room upstairs, and they packed up their stuff. They didn't have a whole lot at that point in their life, but they had some video games, and Caleb had a trophy or two from soccer. He's got some clothes. He's got a few trinkets or whatever, and he didn't, they didn't have a whole lot, uh, and so we packed up his belongings and then fast forward the tape a little further till last year when he went to college for the first time again up in Grand Rapids and we packed up all of his worldly belongings pretty much that he valued in the back of his what was, is still his most valuable worldly possession his 2001 Honda Civic and we packed it all in there, and then a few things in the back of a truck. There's a, there's a, a little refrigerator and a, and a, and a chair and a, and a TV that he'd saved and saved and saved to be able to buy that is actually the largest television in our home that he unfortunately took with him to college. Uh, but anyway, so all of his stuff, basically in the back of a truck and a car. But if you fast forward the tape in the next five years, the next ten years, there will be an exponential explosion of his mountain of stuff. That in time as he gets a job and he gets maybe a wife and a and a house and our an apartment or whatever there will be all of this stuff and it will take a huge trailer truck probably in just a few years to be able to get his stuff from one place to another kind of hold that thought and then i want you to take you to my uh, grandmother-in-law me mommy the very first time I met me, mommy was in Hickman, Kentucky, and she, uh, her, her husband had uh, run a very successful business for a number of years, and they, they owned a home right in the middle of Hickman, Kentucky, this mammoth, 100-year-old, huge uh, house with all of the, uh, from stem to stern, all of this stuff, all of the things that they had acquired after all of this years and years, decades of living in this, this home. They had antiques and had all this stuff. They had a, they had a table that was the, the Waltons and all of us could have sat at, at the same time. Some of you don't know who the Waltons are, but ask somebody as old as I am and they'll tell you who the Waltons were. Um, uh, but she just, they had all this stuff. Fast forward the tape in me, mommy's life and Through a series of events, the loss of her husband, a tragic fire that destroyed that home, through her failing health, the next part of her journey then was a one-room, one room in an assisted care facility that Crystal's mother worked at, where she could be near her mother. And from that massive home filled totally with all the stuff, She was back to a one small room. She had a dresser. She had a television. She had her VCR and her VCR tapes. Again, if you don't know what those are, you can talk to someone my age and we'll tell you. Uh, And she had her Bill Gaither VHS videos that she just absolutely loved watching. And she had some trinkets, some things were very valuable to her. And then she had what was the most important thing in her life, pictures all over the place of her family. The thing that really mattered to her. And then I fast forward the tape a little further. And I still remember the day that I stood in a little Baptist church in Hickman, Kentucky. And there was beloved Me Mommy who loved Jesus. And it was the most precious, kind, gentle woman you would ever come to know. And it was the other bookend of a life, as she lay in a little box, a little bigger than the one that Caleb came into, but simple nonetheless. Because what Paul reminded us of today as we read this passage is that you came into this world with nothing, and you will leave this world with nothing. And the life lesson in the school of contentment is that it is only mine for now. It's all really, it's actually never really mine, but, but it's on loan to me. But it's only, and you understand what I mean, but it's only mine for now, for this short amount of time. And the, in the in-between those bookends of when we came in and we're in the little plastic box, and when we go out when we're in the bigger wooden box, in between that we will never find contentment and satisfaction in the mountain of stuff that this world tells us if you just get it and acquire it, then you will find contentment but it's not in any of those things. It's in none of that temporary stuff. We have to remember that it's only mine for now. Job who when he lost everything, lost all of his world, he was very rich and all this stuff but he lost everything and in Job 1 he says this in verse 21, naked I came came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job got the memo when he lost everything that it really ultimately was God's, all of his to begin with. And we, he, didn't, he came in with nothing. He's going to go out with nothing. And we must get that same memo. We must understand that as we sit at the feet of the Apostle Paul, as we sit and enroll ourselves in the school of contentment, it, contentment will never be found in all of the mountain of stuff that the world says that it will be. If we go back, to a third of four life lessons from the school of contentment look at verse 8 he says but if we have food and clothing and with these we will be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction notice how, what paul says about being content that it can be found but he says but it's in the basics. He said in, with, with just the food and clothing and with God, you can find contentment. In this world, you can find it. It's not so elusive you can't find it. But it's not in the mountain of stuff. You can find it in with just the, the basics of life. You don't have to have all of that to find contentment. The world would want us to believe that the satisfied life can only come when we have more and more and more. And whatever the more is. And the more can be, maybe it's either qualitatively, that, that, that when I have more and it's a, the quality of what I have is, is more, then, then I'll be satisfied or then I'll be content. Or when the, it quantitatively, when I just have more, when the mountain of stuff gets more, then I can find contentment, I can find satisfaction in life. But it's neither of, the, of those things. But the world would tell us that it's all about more. It's when I have the faster car, the better job, the bigger house, the latest fashion, the smaller waist size, the younger wife, whatever, that when I get to that point, then I'll have satisfaction and contentment. When we allow the desire for more to take root, it destroys our ability to find contentment and satisfaction in this world. When the goal is more. Here, so here's the, here's, the, here's the next lesson in the school of contentment. When the goal is more, there is never enough. Listen to the words that, that he uses. He talks, you go back to the text, and he talks about the desire for more, the desire to be rich, the desire for money. And when you, when you have that, when, you, when, it, when it's all about having more, that you fall, he says, into temptation. He says it's a snare or a trap is another way to, to, to interpret that Greek word. It's senseless and harmful desires, he talks about. And what's the end result? They plunge people. And here are all these negative words. They plunge people into ruin and destruction. If you're taking notes, this might be a good thing to write down. I can never have enough of what I don't need. You can never have enough of what you don't need. If you don't need 20 t-shirts, 50 will do as well. If you don't need 75 pairs of shoes, 150 pairs of shoes will do as well. Because you can never get enough of what you don't need. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Neither he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. And so when more is the motivation, when desire, when longing with with acquiring is the the, the thing that drives our life, more (laughs) is never, ever enough. There's no satisfaction, it's only vanity. There's a 14 year old kid that wrote this poem that's very insightful and he writes this poem it was spring but it was summer that I wanted the warm days and the great outdoors it was summer but it was fall I wanted the colorful leaves and the cool dry air it was fall but it was winter I wanted the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday seasons it was winter but it was spring that I wanted the warmth and the blossoming of nature I was a child but it was adulthood that I wanted The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. And then my life was over. And I never got what I wanted. When the goal is more, it's never enough. There's one final quick life lesson that Paul would teach us. Look at those last couple verses in verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many, uh, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now before I give you this last life lesson, Let me just point out something from the text that's real important. It's really a warning. And he talks about the desire for more. He talks about the love of money. He talks about the love of stuff. And that love of stuff, the love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds of evil. Money, he doesn't say, but he says the the love, the the desire, the, the want of it is the root of all kinds of evils. And notice what he says is the end result of that. That has resulted, he said, in people that have wandered away from the faith. Haven't we all seen that? I mean, I could look around, I could think of people that used to be here that aren't here. They aren't here because there's something else that has captured their heart. They may say, say there's some other reason, but 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 a lot of times we know what some of, of what's happening in them is. That there is this... This, this thing that's grabbed a, heart, a hold of their heart and has pulled them away. Some of you might be here today and you really should acknowledge where you are and you can sense that like this gravitational force, you're being pulled away. And Paul gives the warning. He says it's dangerous and it's deadly spiritually. This love of stuff that can pull us away from our faith. But here's the last life lesson from the school of contentment. And, and I just want you to notice the word desire. Desire to be rich, he's talking about. Desire for more, he's talking about. And some of you are probably thinking, you know what? I, I, I get, I understand where you're going with this. You're, you're, you're saying to me that it's all about simplicity. It's all about, I need to get rid of, get rid of stuff. That it's the, like the monks, they had it right. So if we just have this kind of aesthetic lifestyle, if I totally get rid of everything, then, then that's kind of the key. That's what it's all about. So what you're saying to me is that I shouldn't have a desire for stuff. I shouldn't have a desire for the, for the other job, or I shouldn't have have a desire for the, you know, here we are, we've been saving and saving and saving for this house, we've been in this little bitty house, we've been in one bathroom for years and and finally we've been saving up for the down payment for the house where we can, you know, not have a bathroom that everybody shares or the the car, you know, my 2000 whatever uh, Honda civic is is about it's on its last leg it's got over two hundred thousand miles i've been saving and saving and saving for the car and so you're telling me that i shouldn't i shouldn't want that i shouldn't desire that i i should put that on hold i i i the 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 vacation that we've been planning for we're on a vacation forever we just want to get away with a family and you're saying that that's a bad thing or whatever that's not what i'm saying That's not all bad, and that's the evil, that's the the solution is to just get rid of everything. But here's the last lesson. The realization that contentment doesn't necessarily take desire away, not that it has to or should, but here's the last life lesson, that peace is only found in the here and now. Peace is only found in the here and now. And the question is, when you are here, even though you desire to be there, can you be at peace? Can you find peace when you're here and not there? I want you to think about your current situation. What's your current situation? What and your current situation would be, here's what you here's what I own, here's where I work, here's my job, here's, here's what's in my bank account, here's whatever, that's where I am. And there's some thought of what over there, and whatever over there is. And I don't know what that is, but you know what that is. And that's the, the thing that you desire, the thing that you long for, the thing that you you wish that you had the the better job, the bigger house, the the whatever you know, I don't know whatever it is. The, the question is, can you be, can you find peace? Can you be all in with God and the people around you here before you get there because peace to think about contentment is found in the here and the now and the problem is when our heart is all about the desire to be there that robs us of peace here and Paul says it's a trap it's a trap that kills us that plunges us that 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 hurts us is basically what he's saying let me go back to what manion said about contentment to go back to that definition we read at the very beginning that the discipline of being this is a contentment it's the discipline of being fully alive to god and to others whatever the material circumstances so no matter what, what's going on when you're here can, you can find contentment. It's being fully alive to God and to others around you when you're here before you get there. So when you're here, but you desire to be there, and there is, maybe you're, you're, you own your own business, and, you're, and the desire, the, the thought is, when do I get there? When the business grows to whatever size you think it should grow to, or the organization grows to whatever size that you think when you have this much influence, or this much on the payroll, or this much in the, in the bottom line, or when the spreadsheet looks like that, and the, and, or the tax return looks like this, then I can be fully into God and into the people around me, but I can't until I get there, and so that's when... Spouses and husbands and wives have those conversations. You're always there. We just want you here. We want you to be present here. And the thought was, what? Well, but, I, but I have to keep this job. I have to, I have to, to go there. I have to do, put it all. I'm all in over here. And thinking that someday when I get there, then I'll find contentment and satisfaction. And that is an elusive trap that Paul says leads to destruction. It'll destroy your family, and it'll destroy you spiritually. Here's what he goes on to say, Manion. He says, contentment is not achieved through getting everything that we want, but by training our heart to experience full joy and deep peace, even when we don't have what we want. So again, when I'm here, I can have contentment. He goes on to say in Philippians four verse eleven. I referred to it earlier, but he said this: "Not that I am speaking of being uh, of being, not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. For I know." how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What Paul is saying is, I have learned the secret. I understand I've had nothing, and I've had a lot, and I've, I have understand. I finally get the secret of, of what it means to be content, whether I have nothing or whether I have one. So I can, I can be content. You can be content. You can learn to be content if you're here or there with God and being fully engaged with the people around you and in your world. So here's the final thought. Contentment can be learned. It can be learned. And that's what we're going to do in this, over the next few weeks as we think about this satisfied life. Is we're going to learn. We're going to train our hearts. We're going we're to help you to do that. And then a final thought. And you need to go back to this, this text where he says, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance. And at the end he says, for I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We, we miss interpret that text. Like in sports, we see people that I can do all things to give me strength. You have some Super Bowl athlete that says, you know what? I can do all things through strength who God who gives me strength before the big game. If I were the running back for the Denver Broncos or, or you know, whomever, if I were the running back and I have it on my helmet, I've got it tattooed on my arm, and they hand me the ball in the big game, and I could be saying it as the 300 pound lineman crushes my chest in i will not be able to get the touchdown even though i'm quoting that verse that's not what that verse is talking about he's just been talking about contentment i can do all things in any and every circumstance i can be content with god's help and that's the second part of that final thought contentment can be learned with god's help As our worship team comes back up, I want to give you two assignments real quick to help you to kind of get going with this personally. The first is, as you think about this mountain of stuff we have, a little exercise I hope that will help you, I want you to go home this week and take the week, and I want you to count every shirt that you possess that you own and every pair of shoes. And I want you to come up with a number. It might be fun. You might, if you are big enough, if you're enough self-confidence, maybe throw that on our Facebook page or tweet what your number is but I want you, to, and, and hopefully that'll be that exercise will help kind of teach you as you kind of as a spiritual exercise. God, what is this teaching me as I count every shirt that I have, every pair of shoes that I have, what's it teaching me? And the second assignment that, as again, we're trying to train our hearts, the second assignment that I would give you is this is I want you to find something that you possess that has value, that you have not used forever, and I want you to give it to somebody that it, that Thing, whatever it is would be a blessing now it can't be something that is of no value I mean that that's cheating okay but something you know like the the guitar you've not played since college the the um, watch that's in the in the dresser that you know it's there somewhere that you got for some whatever and and and, and it's very valuable but you never wear it you're never going to wear it the bicycle that's hanging up on the on the things in your garage that you know you know you're never going to ride that bike before the Lord comes back so take that thing of value, one thing and find someone that would be a blessing to and give one thing away and allow your heart to begin to be trained. Heavenly Father as we conclude our time I pray the Father that you would begin to help us to, to shape our heart into conformity God to recognize and remember that everything comes from you that we'll never have enough in this world That we didn't come in with anything, we're not going to leave with anything. God, I pray that you just shape our heart today. Begin that process of understanding that it's only ours for a temporary time. And God, there's a lot of fun to be had as we find contentment and satisfaction no matter where we are on the journey of where you're taking us. Help us, Father, speak to us. In the name of Christ, I pray.
0: words from jesus from matthew 6
4: therefore i tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear it's not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the bear, birds of the air they do not sow a or store away in the barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single life, an hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendors was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
1: Heavenly Father, you always amaze me. Let your kingdom come in my world, in my life.
3: here's our definition contentment is not achieved through getting everything we want we're just thinking about you're all i want it's not getting everything we want in this world but by training our heart to experience full joy and deep peace even when we don't get what we want there's still peace to be had paul said i've learned to be content oh next few weeks hope you come back Hopefully you bring maybe somebody with you that maybe this is a good, kind of some life lessons will be helpful uh, to them. If you're new, make sure you uh, introduce yourself to the, your section leader. They've got lanyards uh, on in the back or online. Introduce yourself to our folks, uh, our hosts online. Uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. And if you wouldn't mind, we've got uh, some of our team that usually helps us kind of tear down afterwards that are out of town this weekend. Uh, and if you wouldn't mind stacking some chairs in groups of 10, that'd be an awesome help. Uh, Lord bless you. Go. Don't forget your assignment. What is it? You're going to count every shirt and pair of shoes you have. Uh, And the brave ones are going to post it on Facebook or Twitter. And number two, you're going to give away something of value to someone this week and be a blessing. Lord bless you as you go today.